Hello and welcome to Disturbing Behaviors. I'm Denise. And I'm Amanda. And today we are starting with Eileen Warnos. And we're going to start with her childhood. Eileen Warnos was born on February 29, 1956. So that makes her a leap year baby. Oh, I don't know why. I I that, that just interests me. But yeah. she was born in Rochester, Michigan. Now, I think we really need to start and talk about what the re what society was like in 1956. Back in 1956, women had very little rights. It wasn't until the Fair Credit Act was passed in 1970 that women were able to get credit cards in their own name. Prior to that, prior to 1970, in order for you as a female to get a credit card or a line of credit or anything like that, you had to have a man, your husband or your father or somebody, a male to sign off on it, that it was okay That's for you to have your own credit. So this was back before the civil rights movement started in the sixties. So you're talking about very little assistance was available for women at that time. Back then the media, she was born in Rochester, Michigan which is a northern suburb, Metro Detroit. In 1956, the median income or the annual medium income, just to kind of blow everybody's mind. Do you want to guess what that was, Amanda? Take a while to guess what the annual income was in 1956. $10,000. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Lower. Like much lower. The annual, the median income was $3,532, which in today's equivalency would be around $25,000 a year. What? I will save my fucking rant on inflation and the Federal Reserve for a later time. That'll be one of my conspiracy theories. Okay, we'll have that <laughs> conversation. So, are you joining me, Piper? Okay. So now this is really interesting in that time frame. So you're talking very low income, even for then it was a low income and she was not being born into the best of families. Now her mother, Eileen Warnos's mother, I read multiple articles all over and just Google searches and they state that she was either 14 or 15 at the time that she gave birth to Eileen, which was, of course, very young. Still, that I mean, that's young for us now as a society. When you sit there and you say, oh, my God, you know, they're 15 and they're having a baby. That's young. Doesn't mean that somebody's not qualified, but that's still a very young and immature age. And then she, her dad was about 16 at the time when Eileen was born. Now, the family is just kind of hard to kind of get through to because she does have a brother named Keith who is deceased and he's older. So they must've been even younger when they had him. Obviously, you know, if he's the older brother, they were younger than that. How much older was he? It doesn't say what the age gap was between Eileen okay. and this Keith, her brother. Now, so first of all, that's one little kind of warning when you talk about Children, people who have a tendency to have more interactions with the police and more issues with substance abuse. And it usually starts with like teen parents. And that is one of the things there. Now, 
And the family obviously had a very poor support system and a lot of issues going on. Let's talk about her dad. Her dad had a diagnosis of schizophrenia, and he was actually convicted of sex crimes against children and was in jail and killed himself in 1969. She would have been not stuck at math. I mean, you're talking, she was born in 56, that's 69, that's, she was 14 when he killed himself. 13. And in jail. And then her mother just abandoned. Peace out, I'm done. Okay, so you've got a parent that's in jail for pretty horrible crimes, and then another parent who just abandoned. Okay, there's a warning flag should have been going off, but back then, that wasn't your business. You didn't get involved in that. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to society, but... So did the kids go to, like, foster homes, or did it, was there a family member that would take them? Hold on. So you are... I'm having problems hearing you. Wrong button. <laughs> What would you say, hon? I said, were they dropped off? Were they left with a foster family or an orphanage? What I was asking you before I was so rudely interrupted by the stupid volume, were the kids left with foster family or no, they family were left or- with grandparents? Okay. And so I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding it was the paternal grandparents, which... You know, you can kind of see that there's a history. You can see where the lineage starts with Mm. the grandparents were alcoholics. That's been documented that they were alcoholics. And they adopted Eileen and her brother Keith. But at the same time, they were also raising their own child, Barry. How old was Barry? He's much older. He left home when Eileen was nine. So Eileen was abandoned very young. So he was only there for a couple of years when Eileen was with the grandparents. And what's interesting is that he came back after not being in that home and not seeing what was going on. He came back and testified against her in her trial and was like, oh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, we're going to talk about that when we get to like her crimes and punishment part of that. But, you know, so you're talking not a very supportive system. Now, the grandparents, how old was she when she was left with the aunt grandparents? So, like, how long uncle there before he left with Eileen and her brother? Only a couple of years. I mean, I think it was like, she was like five, four or five when she was dumped, uh, dumped off at the grandparents. And then he left at nine. So you're talking, he was only there for four to five years while she was there. So that's really interesting because that means that he was giving a character reference on a nine-year-old child that he had not seen since then. Correct. Because he went to him on the stand. Yeah. I mean, he went into the military and he left and he referred to himself as her brother in the court testimony. Now there is, and you can cite this if you go to the court records, The court system here in Florida, in the Supreme Court ruling, his testimony is brought up in those transcripts, and you can go online and find those, and that's what I was looking at. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll put a link in the show notes. All right, perfect. But yeah, so here's the thing, is that, let's start with the, Eileen Warnos is the only... I shouldn't say the only. She's one of the very few that I actually have sympathy for. 
I am not going to excuse what she did. I'm not going to say that she was justified, although we're going to argue that one. But I'm saying this kid didn't have a fucking chance in this world. We're talking about somebody who hit the ground and just had no... This was a child who was loved. This was not somebody who had supportive parents. And, you know, you can come from a broken home and still be a good person. You can have, you can be a product of divorce and still be okay. If you have at least one strong parent, you have one strong parental figure, somebody who's going to love you unconditionally and, you know, care about you and invest in you. She didn't have any of that. So what happened to her? So other than the grandparents being alcoholics, were they Okay, so we're talking about early trauma. The first time that she documents or that she disclosed that she was raped, she was 14. However, she had obviously been sexualized or exploited or molested before that because she was prostituting at age 11. I know she was. Yeah, she was 11 years old, and she was prostituting at 11 for cigarettes. So she's smoking cigarettes at age 11, and the neighborhood boys gave her the nickname Cigarette Pig because she would perform sexual acts. Now, it's not clear in the test articles that I looked at whether she was actually performing, you know, she was having sex with them. Or if she was just performing oral sex and other acts like that. But yeah, that's what she was doing for, you know, money or cigarettes. So it's obviously, how would an 11-year-old know about oral sex? Exactly. There is no reason that an 11-year-old child should have any knowledge of that particular act. Right. I will argue that as a mother of a girl, I will argue that as the mother of boys as well, that children should not be sexualized at 11, like Uh not to know what that stuff is. And she starts talking about she was raped at 14 and then she gave birth at 15. Now, the father of that baby was a friend of her grandfather's because her grandfather was sexually abusing her. Her brother, her biological brother, Keith, is also one of her alleged rapists. She has made allegations of sexual abuse against her brother, her own brother, and her grandfather. I mean, this child, her entire life has known nothing but abuse. So she genuinely didn't have a chance in hell. Yeah, she's dealing with gut substance abuse. You've got psychological issues. Her dad has schizophrenia. Now, if your parents have mental health issues, there is a strong probability that as the child is going to have them. It's back then, you're talking in the 50s and the 60s. I mean, he killed himself in 1969. You know, people really weren't talking about mental health. They're really talking about, you know, the healthy psychology. You know, the welfare people didn't get involved and people didn't talk about that. You know, in those neighborhoods and in that time frame, the mentality was that's not your business. What goes on in that house is not your business. You don't talk about family business outside the family and you don't get involved in that stuff. And, you know, I think especially for females, you're gaslighted. Oh, it wasn't that bad. 
oh, it couldn't possibly have been like that for you. You know, or you other people have it worse. Yeah. It still continues. Now, she did give birth to a baby boy when she was 15, and she put the baby up for adoption. It went through a private adoption, and it's sealed. And I think that's actually a good thing. That child was able to grow up in, from what we understand, the child grew up happy in a private adoption. Of course he did. You're talking, what, 1969, 1970, a healthy white baby? Oh, yeah, that's going to go to a good family. That's going to go to a good family. That's a prime child. That's a wanted child. So the case is sealed because Eileen never gave consent to be identified. Even if that child went to the adoption agency and said, hey, you know, I want to know who my biological family is, she never gave consent in it. And now that she's been executed, she obviously cannot ever give consent. So, you know, we're looking at all of this childhood drama. I mean, she's low income, being raised by alcoholic grandparents. If the grandfather was abusing her, I'm sure the grandmother was abusing her or being abused herself there's certainly neglect this is and and to have you're talking about bullying you know this girl what she was taught as a child was literally your only purpose the only thing that you have to offer is your body and you know when people are like oh well she turned into a prostitute What the fuck else did you expect was going to happen? Right. That's all she was taught to do. That's all you do what you know. You look at children of people who are involved in criminal enterprises. And people are like, oh, wow. Well, you know, that's what they grew up to do. Look at what their dad does. Look at what their mom does, you know. Uh And people really are a product of their environment. You really are. You can either... You know, we we were talking about this yesterday where you can look at it and say, I want better or you fall a line in it. And I think a lot of times with the I want to do better, it can be traced to having at least one adult who invests in you and who is at least concerned about your well-being. And she didn't have that. I mean, 11 years old. And these boys all know that if you have cigarettes, you can go to the cigarette pig and she will perform these acts on you. She'd be real ridiculed and laughed at and bullied. She had no friends. She had nothing. She had nobody that she could turn to and feel protected. And as a child, that's something you need to have, that sense of security. With her doing all of this stuff and all of the boys at school knowing that she's doing all of this, it kind of makes you wonder if the teachers knew what was going on because chances are that they did. And literally no one stepped in to help this girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're absolutely correct. Somebody somewhere had to know this was going on. And, you know, but you look at that mentality. Now, we're looking at it in a mentality I'm looking at it in the mentality of my kids who started school in, well, my oldest started school in the late 90s. My other kids started in the 2000s. And in that time frame, somebody would speak up. Mm-hmm. 
somebody would have said something. Now, like I said, I'm Generation X. I can tell you that I grew up in a nice area. I grew up in a good neighborhood. And my parents were solid, middle-class people, two-person home. But there were kids in my neighborhood who were being molested, and nobody said anything. Yeah, like the kids, we was, knew about it, but we didn't tell any of the adults. We weren't taught to at that age. You know, it's like I... When I was in school, even in middle school, there were kids in my school who were pregnant, you know, 13, 14 years old, and nobody said anything. You know, I had friends that would get pregnant, and I knew that it was by their boyfriend, and, you know, know, it was cool in those days to have sex at a younger age, but, you know, now that I'm older, and you kind of look back... You know, these girls being sexualized at 12, 13 years old, you got to wonder if something else was going on. And during that time, you know, and I grew up in the 80s and 90s, nobody said anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was also, I had an incident I um, in middle school. And, uh, you know, I graduated high school in 1990. And I was in middle school. One of my friends who lived, lived in a nice neighborhood, you know, good neighborhood. I was over at her house. We're still friends to this day, you know, and I had gone over to her house and we were in her bedroom and we were sitting on her bed and we were talking, playing, doing some whatever stupid thing that seventh graders do. Her mom came home, flew into her room, Like, I mean, slammed the door open, flew into the room, struck my friend so fucking hard that she flew off her bed and hit the wall next to it. All for the crime, failing to replace the paper towels in the kitchen. Wow. And I went to school. I went to my mom. And as we've discussed, my mom is the first year of the baby boomers. You know, she's the first year of boomers. And she literally told me, Don't get involved. And she was actually mad at me because I was so upset about this. I did. We had those, those commercials like, oh, tell an adult. I did tell an adult. I did speak up. And you're talking, this is the early 80s. I did speak up. And I went to the school counselor who was supposed to be that person that you go to. I went to the school counselor and I swear to God, this bitch looked me dead in my face and said, oh, I'm sure you're mistaken. Now, I understand now as an adult, as a full adult, that that's gaslighting. Oh, yeah. I know that now. But they literally, they had marked my friend as a troublemaker because that's what her mother had said. She was a troublemaker and she was all this. No, she was an abused child. She was getting the shit beat out of her by a psychotic woman and nobody did anything. And 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 who believed a child over an adult? Yeah, everybody believed the adult over the child. And she was just like, you know, she would run away. Well, she's running away from abuse, but they're like, oh, no, she's just a, what abuse. You live in this nice house in this nice neighborhood. You yeah, know, your mom drives nice, a nice car. Yeah. Yes, yes. And that, that's it. And it's also like, well, you know, what, what do you expect hanging out with townies, you know? And there's always been kind of a caste system in society where... We dismiss 
people who are the lowest earned income. Now, it's personally, it's bullshit, but it happens. Mm-hmm. When you look at the plight of people who come from poor backgrounds, it's dismissed. Almost like you deserve it. You live in poverty. What do you expect? Well, first of all, kids don't expect to be born into poverty. Right. I don't know about anybody else, but I don't remember an exit interview when I was being born saying, hey, <laughs> where would you like to go? You know, what kind of parents do you want to have? What color skin do you want to have? Like, you know, like, yeah. oh, what, what orientation you know, would you like to see? Hmm? Yeah. yeah. What sexual like, orientation would you like to have? Yeah, yeah, really, like, okay, um, you know. Uh, I'm sorry, you put in your request to be a woman a little too late, so we made you a man, but you can get surgery later on to correct it if you really want to. Yeah, 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 but we're not going to cover that, and society's going to condemn you for it, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, whatever. So I say that to say that even if somebody was speaking up, and she had, like I said, this child had no friends. There was nobody who came to her defense as when she was at trial or anything like that, who said, hey, this kid, had- I remember her and, you know, she wasn't dressed nice. She wasn't clean. She wasn't cared for. Nobody came forward because that's what she was. Well, she came from trash. Of course, she's going to be trash. And. I hate to say it, but we're still talking in the later 2000s that that mentality is still happening. And I'm going to cite a case that happened in at South Fort Myers a couple of years ago. Oh, I remember that. I think you know oh which one God. I'm talking about. There I was do. an incident where there was a young lady who was caught in the bathroom and she was having sex with pretty much the entire football team. She was in the bathroom with like 20, 25 boys. Yes, it was. And what kills me is that on the news, and you can go into the Wink News archives about this. I want to say this was like 2016 timeframe. I want to say it was around around then that they interviewed parents. They were interviewing parents outside this high school. Of course she was doing that. Her mother was the same way. Oh my God. Yeah. That was disgusting. Right. I just kept screaming at the TV going, somebody's pimping this girl out. She is a trafficking victim. Mm-hmm. Something is going on here. And these yeah. parents are like, Oh, she's such a slut. And I just, I wanted to wring their necks through the TV and be like, bitch, shut the fuck up because you have no idea what you're talking about. But you have to look at it. Everybody blamed the girl. Mm -hmm. Everybody blamed the girl for doing it. Nobody, you didn't hear the parents in that line saying, I'm ashamed of these boys. Yeah, not a single one of them. Not a single one of them. And I can tell you, That as a woman who raised sons, I have three boys that I raised to good men. If it had been one of my sons involved in that. We'd still be looking for a body. I don't have words for that. Because I think I don't have words for that because it wouldn't be my sons because they were raised better. They were raised to be respectful. They were raised that we don't do those type of things, you know, that, you know, you're going to explore sexuality. We expect children to explore sexuality, but we also kind of expect that in a more 
innocuous way. I mean, think about it as a child. They play doctor. Mm-hmm. You know? Why? Because children are going to have a curiosity about their bodies. They're going to have a curiosity about the opposite sex. They're going to have those curiosities, you know? That's human nature. That is a normal thing. If you catch a couple of four-year-olds playing doctor, that's, and they're just kind of looking, that's curiosity. That's curiosity. But if they're simulating sex acts, that's a problem. Yeah. You know? It's all that somewhere. Yeah, you know, that behavior is learned. So this child, Eileen, didn't have a single person with protective instincts around her. And as a mother, that breaks my heart. It does. She didn't have anybody protecting her from those things. She didn't have anybody. And then when she looks at it, now you're looking... And you have girls, you've got two daughters, I have a daughter. When we raise our daughters and our daughters are on men, we want them to have a positive opinion of men. And I'm not going to bash men. People are going to, I know people are like, gearing up for here comes all men (laughs) suck. They don't. But a lot of y'all need to come correct. And you know it. And you need to call your, your homeboys out to be correct too. But my daughter grew up knowing that While her biological dad was fucking useless, her stepdad, the man she calls dad, that's still the person to this day. She's 21. She'll be 22 in December. She's still like, dad, (laughs) my car's doing this. (laughs) You know, my dad, this is what's going on. And, you know, she still has that sense of protection. She has that sense of security. She looks at her brothers and she is protected. Because while they may have, you know, tortured her, they sure shit won't let anybody else, anybody else fuck with her. Right. You know, and this really sad thing is that not only did Eileen not have anyone there to kind of step in and defend or protect her, but the people who were actually supposed to be doing this were the ones who were exploiting her. Absolutely. In that situation, who can you trust? Yeah, there's literally no one. Yeah, literally no one. Her dad is dead. Her mom is gone, uh, disappeared from her life and never reemerged, never came back. And the grandparents are alcoholics. And it's the grandfather who's sexually assaulting Eileen. It is, uh, and I'm not even going to say that. It is the grandfather who is raping this child. And I think we need to look at the language too, because it's not assault. This is rape. They raped a child. A little girl. This is basically when you're raised by pedophiles, and that's where I'm going to label them. If people want to get mad about that, get mad, build a bridge, get over it, because that's what it is. You are having sex with a literal child that is pedophilia, and his friends are the ones going along with it. They're participating in this. She's not safe at home. Home should be your safe place. Home should be where you feel secure. You should always feel like that. And I say that because I remember when I was getting ready to have my first baby and they were talking about, you know, labor and delivery and kind of what to expect. And one of the nurses had said, you know, at this point in time, you know, they're going to say they want to go home. You know, the mom will say they want to go home and they kind of, and everybody laughed. They're like, yeah, we don't know why. And I'm like, yeah, because you're in pain and you want to go home because home is where it's safe. Home should be free of pain. Home is where you're secure. Home is where you're loved. And she didn't have that. 
And that is a big, big thing, you know, and I don't think people understand how much of an impact your childhood has on the rest of your life, especially back then. You've got grandma who's, if not participating in the abuse, is turning a blind eye to it. Oh, yeah. You knew she was like, well, if he's abusing her, he's not hurting me. Right. You know, and it's not like grandma really had any options. When you look at that, because again, you're talking, this is all before grandma could get have a job. Because typically back then in that society, dad was the one who worked, the man of the house. He was the man of the house. What he said goes. Mom just took care of the house. Uh-huh. You know, you had very few women who did work were either very, very poor. They were single. The expectation was, well, you know, it was hard for women to get any type of work of substance, you know, because the expectation, oh, if you're young and you're pretty, we're not going to hire you because you're going to get married and have babies and leave us. Yeah. So for, for poor Eileen, just looking back at that, it's lonely. She had nobody to talk to. Nobody took her seriously. Nobody loved her. And I think she really just spent the rest of her life looking for somebody to love her looking for somebody to say, hey, you matter. But instead, the lessons that she learned as a child was the only thing you were good for is sex. And she's obviously not going to have a healthy relationship with her sexuality, having been a victim of child molestation, having been a victim of child rape. She's not going to have that. She's not going to understand her own sexuality because of all this damage. You know, you go through puberty at a certain age and still even then everything's confusing and people are developing and you're talking, you know, the preteen age up to, you know, early 20s. That's really the sexual development of a human. You know, you're talking about that. You spend that time frame figuring out what you like, what is appealing to you, what do you enjoy? You know, are there going to be experimentations? Of course. But I think it gets twisted when somebody is a big, when they've had that happen to them prematurely, where they've been just exploited, where they have no idea. And first of all, you're having, they're raping somebody whose body is not designed to have sex. Right. A child's body is not designed for sexual intercourse. It is not. That's why your body goes through puberty. So I can't imagine the pain she was in. She didn't see doctors. And if she did see doctors, it was ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, teachers must have heard it and been like, well, that family's trash. What do you expect? Yeah. Nobody, nobody called the police. Nobody called protective services. Nobody did anything for her. And that, her childhood, it was just... I went through and I was going through Google and I was searching and reading different articles and reading all this stuff. Now, the bulk of the articles that are about Miss Eileen are about her crimes, her crimes, her punishment and her execution. So there's not a whole lot of information about her childhood. But what there is, is all fucking tragic. There is not one picture of her smiling smile, a single picture i mean it, it breaks my fucking heart 
Because, you know, as parents, we look back on the pictures that we've taken of our kids. And you have the Christmas pictures where they're all smiles and they're laughing and they're doing this and birthday parties and, you know, activities with families. And you've got pictures of kids smiling. And Evan is, oh my gosh, I just lost his name. They did that Netflix special on him. That, that little boy who was killed by his mom. Who is that? I know you know this one. I know. All right. So, I mean, nobody interfered with this girl. Nobody said anything. And, you know, I bring up Gabriel Fernandez, who was, you know, you're talking 2020, Gabriel Fernandez. And that was 2013 when he was killed. And people, the system failed him then. And at least we have a system. There was no real system back then. They allowed this girl to really have nothing, to have no one. Nobody wanted her. Nobody cared about her. They allowed her to be exploited over and over again. She ran away when she was, I believe they said that she was about 16. She was gone. They, she was disposed of. They didn't want her back. They didn't want anything to do with her. And I don't blame her. You know, so you're talking then, what are you going to do at 16? You're not going to get a are job. You support yourself. Yeah, yeah. In that time. Nowadays, a 16 year old can go and be hired at Walmart, can be hired at any retail or or even some places in the restaurant because you can't serve alcohol until you're 18. But there are places that don't serve alcohol that you can work. Now, a 16-year-old could work at. You could work at McDonald's. You could work at Lowe's. You could work at Walmart. There are options. Back then, for her, for the cigarette pig who had that reputation, who was that child who was just trash and disposable, she had no options. So she turned to, a, to become a child prostitute. Why? Because that's what she was taught her value was. As a human being, that was her value. And again, I'm going to say child prostitute. People are going to start arguing, well, she was 16, 17, 18, you know, until she turned 18, she's still a child prostitute. She was still being exploited. And for people to be like, oh, she knew better. How would she know better? You know, that's, I think, what irritates me the most about this case it's just how many people are like, well, she chose to be a prostitute. Did she, yeah, though? She didn't sh- yeah, I don't think so. Did, did she? Yeah, it was a great choice. Or was that how her life was? That was her life trajectory. Because when you sit there and you exploit and you assault and you rape this child and there's no counseling, there's no interventions. And I know we're going to talk about interventions later on, but... There was nothing done to put this girl, this woman, this future woman onto a path of success and healing. There wasn't. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, when people talk about it, it's like, ah, she's that prostitute who killed men. You know, what options did she have? She was raped, assaulted, degraded, humiliated, abandoned, neglected her entire childhood. This was not somebody with that background and that treatment who was going to grow up and be a kindergarten teacher. I get so angry about this case and about this child and nobody did anything. 
Every- you know, even when she was an adult, nobody really did anything. I mean, yeah. somebody could have stepped in and said it, everything this woman has been through. Mitigating circumstances, which I'm not even sure were a thing back then. But I mean, I think the only time we could talk about mitigating circumstances is in the first murder. And I know that we're going to talk about that in our next episode when we start talking about those things. You look back, this was a trauma-based childhood. Mm. Now, you can have two loving parents and have like not be abused at home, still experience childhood trauma. I think everybody experienced some form of childhood trauma. And as a parent, your job is to try to, one, not contribute to the childhood trauma. Uh, You know, my kids went through an ugly divorce, so I know that was traumatic. I got my kids into counseling. My kids went to therapy, and that was was not court-ordered. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack, and they need to have a safe space. They went in. You know, you're talking Kate was seven, so Bug would have been nine, and David would have been 13 when this all started going down. And they all went to therapy. They had time one-on-one with their counselor where I was not in there. I did not ask what they talked about. When I did do my like kind of debriefing with the psychologist afterward, it was more like, is there a problem? Is there something I need to address? And it gave my kids that safe space to bring up things that bothered them and things that upset them so that we could address them and have that healthy conversation. Because, you know, I think generationally wise we try to do better as parents like yeah my yeah my parents probably did a better job of raising us than their parents did but it was still a shit job i wanted to do better than my parents and i want my kids to do better than me and i want their kids and their kids and so on and so forth so that we're constantly healing that was not the mentality back in the late 50s early 60s that was not the mentality if you go back in time now, if you took me went back in time and I started talking about, you know, the support systems and healthy and ending toxic relationships and processing, they were throwing my ass in an asylum. She's crazy mm-hmm. talking all that shit. But that is the reality. She, where could she have gone? Because you'll see there is, and I'll send you the article where this girl's like, oh my gosh, she was my best friend. Where were you? I mean, yes, you were a child. You were a child. But in the things that I have read, so of course, I am open to being corrected. If somebody can post something that says, oh no, here's where she said she did X, Y, and Z. But the stuff that I read was like, oh yeah, she had a really bad childhood. Did you tell anyone? Did you tell your parents? Did you tell the Maybe she's... And it's possible that she did, but again, as you said, the adults in that era were just like, it's not my business, not my circus, not my monkeys. So what if she did tell somebody and they didn't do anything with that? Yeah, I think Eileen was failed on everything. And of course, you know, and I'm not blaming her friend. I'm not blaming her friend. Okay, so. Is he lit? Getting back on. And. I I just need to correct, and you just to really address that. Her childhood friend, alleged friend, said, you know, she was a child herself. I don't have any information on her childhood, but you also have to look at the statistics that one in four 
females are sexually assaulted in their lifetime. One in four. That's based on reported, you know, so the true number, the true amount of sexual assault, rapes, and it's unknown. We don't have a solid number about it. You know, so back then, you know, did, did she do anything? Did she say anything? I mean, would it have done any good even if she did? Exactly. Like, what would have happened? And so, you know, you have this, this child who's just like, there's nobody sitting there going, hey, you know what? That's not right. You should go and tell somebody and, and you should say help. And whereas I think now, especially in, I would say from like 2010 on, it got to be a little better. There are still cracks in the system. The system is still broken. Again, harking back to Gabriel Fernandez, who was in 2013 and CPS failed him. There were multiple. Everybody said something and nobody acted. I mean, and I think this is almost, I would put draw a parallel between his case and her case. It's the opposite. I mean, she wasn't killed. She wasn't murdered like Gabriel was. But her soul, her psyche, sure as hell was murdered. I really believe that. I mean, her spirit to be, I can't imagine going through that. As a parent, I can't imagine that. And as a grandparent, I can tell you right now, my grandchildren come from my bonus son. Doesn't make them any less my grandchildren at all. I don't play that half. I don't play that step. We don't do that. It's family. I can tell you right now, while I live here in Florida and my grandchildren live in Ohio, that if somebody hurt my grandchildren, yeah, the headline would read Florida woman and it would just go downhill from there because I would not tolerate that, you know, but here's this little girl that was a throwaway child. Can we talk about throwaway children? It doesn't necessarily have to mean that the child's kicked out of the house at a young age, which does happen and is still happening. We're talking about children that the families just don't give a shit about. They're the ones that nothing goes right for them. They're not treated the same. I believe the lingo that Protective Services uses for that child who's still within the home is the target child. That's the child that kind of gets you know, when you have a bad day, that's the child that gets kicked. You know, that's the one that it, the mom's bad day comes out on. And dad's drinking is going to beat Bobby's ass again because that's the target child. And it's the throwaway child. That's the child that runs away. And this is somebody, the psyche is people want to be loved. They want to experience some type of connection with someone. Now, it's human nature. We are social and our psychological profile. Yeah. For some people, that security, that system is have like maybe a large family that they are very close to or, or have like a large group of friends. I mean, you look at the bridal parties that have like 12 bridesmaids. I'm like, shit, I don't even like 12 people. <laughs> you know, you but the, those people and you're watching them. That bride feels loved. That bride feels mm -hmm. secure because she has these people. Like she's got the support system and family and your support system can look differently. You know, I have a very good support system. I've got some really great friends. I've got Dave. That's hit or miss at times. <laughs> you know, does he love me unconditionally? Yes. 
Do, does he drive me outside my fucking mind? Also, yes. But at least I have that support. I have those systems. I don't really get that system from my family. I have a relationship with my parents, but I'm not at my parents once a month. They're doing, that's okay. I have a brother. I have an older brother that very few people actually know about outside of my family and outside of my very close people, because we have no relationship. We have no relationship. And that's something that impacted me to make sure that my children were close to each other. And my children are all friends with each other. You know, they like each other. They will roast the shit out of each other, but at least they like each other. Whereas, you know, where did Eileen have that? Where was her source of love? She didn't have that. She obviously physical, any type of physical contact that she had, she certainly wasn't getting a hug and a kiss goodnight. She wasn't getting tucked into bed. She was getting reaped by the person who was supposed to be protecting her. You know, her own brother, her own grandfather, her grandfather's friends. She's being exploited by the neighborhood boys. And it wasn't really clear in the stuff that I was reading about that, like whether they were her same age, because that's also another red flag. 11 and 12 year old boys should not know what oral sex is. Okay, before I already hear the Karens going, oh my God, they should have an explanation. Yes, age appropriate, which means like as they grow up, you should know vagina and anus and breasts. And yes, you should know those words. They should have those appropriate words. They should know those words so that if something is going wrong, they can tell somebody and somebody will understand it. And I say that because I read one of these case studies where this little girl was going and telling her teacher, my uncle licked my cookie. And the teacher's like, well, go get another cookie. It wasn't until the teacher was talking to the mom and the mom mentioned the girl's cookie as a code for her vagina that the teacher realized, holy shit, this child's being sexually assaulted. You know, so that's, yes, I do believe that. And to know where children come from, yes. But to know about oral sex at that age, no. There's another red flag. What's happening that these children are being sexualized that young? You know, where is it coming from? And that, and, you know, I just got so much anger about that. I really do. (laughs) So, you know, her, her childhood and her developmental years, they weren't happy. They were not this child that is like well-adjusted and well-balanced and sunny and outgoing and happy. She's not described in any of her people like happy. No, she was withdrawn. She was quiet. She was, you know, the cigarette pig. That nickname irritates me and bothers me so much because you know, for it to have made like articles and for people to mention that, that was a well-known nickname. That was a well-known nickname. And that means that they were- Which is why I was saying that Which is another reason why I was saying that the teachers had to have known what was happening. You know, I find it very hard to believe that none of the adults in that school knew what was going on. 
Correct. Yeah, they had to have known something. And, and something bothers me because, again, teachers are supposed to be that other security system. We're supposed to have systems in place to protect our children. Okay. The first level of protection is the parents. The second level is the family, you know, and then you have the family friends and then you have those professionals who are involved and that's your doctor and your school, your, your educators, you know, this is not, obviously she didn't go to preschool. This was not going to be that type of thing. And you know, you're going to go to your regular public school. You know, that was the mentality like, Oh, well, throwaway child. She comes from a trashy family. And it really is a form of victim blaming. Instead of saying that society blamed, you know, failed her, you know, you didn't hear any of her teachers. You didn't hear anybody who knew her then kind of come out and try to defend her. No, you know, and like I said, the one person, the one family member who did testify at her trial testified against her saying it wasn't that bad. So I, I mean, it's, but so this was a childhood back in a time frame where the mentality, and I think it's very important also to go back and kind of address that this was the time frame when the mentality towards children were that children were not fully actualized human beings. Children were seen and not heard. You know, it was the mentality of, you know, the man sat at the head of the table and he got the biggest amount of meat and you know, it went down, there was really a caste system, even within families. And you looked at society who looked down on people who were poor, and it kind of blamed them. Yeah, definitely. So I guess that was the whole story of her childhood. And join us next week, and we'll hear more about her crimes. All right, we'll see y'all next week. <laughs> Bye.